Hello, hello, hello. This is Reverend Karen speaking, and boy, do I have a treat for you today. Today's episode is the first in a series of four called Fearlessly Feral Basics. And I got this delightful title from a fellow minister. Thank you, Reverend Linda Finley. But more accurately, it's not really Fearlessly Feral Basics, although it could be. It's Science of Mind Basics. More specifically, today and for the next three podcast episodes, I'm going to go over and cover the basics in the introduction of the Science of Mind textbook. And just to give you a um, brief little uh, reminder of what's in there, this first one is the thing itself. The next one is the way it works. After that, it's what it does. And after that, it's how to use it. And this is really, really yummy stuff, guys. Really yummy. If you've ever wondered where I get my concepts and principles from, it is here. It's right here in the Science of Mind textbook, specifically these four sections. So let me do this introduction and then we'll jump right in. So welcome again to Fearlessly Feral Living. I'm broadcasting to you from the Woogie Ranch out here in the back 40 of northwestern Nevada, where I'm a half an hour away from the nearest gas station and the nearest grocery store. And my mission is to teach practical application of science of mind principles to provide a strong and unshakable inner foundation that facilitates long-term successful living. Okay, let's get into this, shall we? It used to be in Centers for Spiritual Living all over the world, that every January, every Sunday service that was attended, and this was way back before the days of Zoom, and they still do it to a certain extent today, but not as, I don't see it happening as much. The minister would do a review of the basics. Each Sunday, they would talk on one of those four sections in the introduction of the textbook. And I don't know about you, but I've always found it very worthwhile to review the basics once in a while, no matter what it is I'm doing. If I'm horseback riding, good to review the basics. If I'm doing other stuff in the world, good to review the basics once in a while. So we're going to review the basics here. And today's episode is titled The Thing Itself, which is the first section in the introduction of the textbook. And again, I'm also going to do three other uh, episodes titled The Way It Works, What It Does, and How to Use It. So if you have a Science of Mind textbook, I urge you to go to the introduction and read these sections for yourself and come to your own conclusions. Don't just trust my conclusions. Read it for yourself. And if you have a different conclusion than me after reading it, I'd love to hear about it. Actually, I'd love to hear about it if you have the same conclusion as me. If you read it, I'd love to hear about the possibilities for you in your world, about the the possibilities for transformation if you adopt some of the things it's talking about in the introduction. Um, And a, a bit about the introduction. If you decide you want to buy one of these textbooks, there are a zillion million editions out there. The one I'm using is a Kindle edition published in 1998. There's quite a few of them. So I don't know that it matters what edition you have for the purposes of this. But if you ever take a Science of Mind class, 
some of the class notes and assignments will be getting their page numbers and quotes out of a specific edition. So just pay attention to what edition you have. Anyway, here we go. So the thing itself in the Science of Mind textbook, the word thing is capitalized. So what is this capitalized thing that Holmes speaks of? Well, in true Holmes fashion, he doesn't really get to it till the end of the section. He's got to go through all sorts of yummy stuff first, which I'll get to in a minute. The thing is, in its simplest form, God. But we call it by so many other names. My favorite name for God is energy or energy force or the force. Yes, in Star Wars. Yes, that is what I'm talking about. But the other names that are sometimes used, and you will find these throughout the textbook, creative intelligence of the universe, creative power, the great love of the universe, first cause, mind, and that's capitalized. In fact, all these are capitalized. The thing, spirit, eternal and changeless intelligence, power, another one of my favorites, life, love, another one of my favorites, universal wholeness, I like that one too, divine being. And Holmes stresses that because we are one with God, we are all divine beings as well. Whatever we call it, never forget this very important point. We are a part of it and it is a part of us. It's important, guys. God is not something separate from us. It is a part of us and we are a part of it. Here's a quote from Ernest Holmes. Mind, the thing, spirit, causation, is beyond and yet not beyond our grasp. Beyond in that it is so big within in that whatever we grasp at it, wherever we grasp at it, we are it to the extension that we grasp it. But since it is infinite, we can never encompass it. We shall never encompass God, and yet we shall always be God and of God. Now, Holmes quotes, whenever I quote Holmes, sometimes I think, how the hell is anybody going to get any sense out of that? It cracks me up the way he writes. So here's in plain language and a little bit shorter what he just said there. We are in God and of God. We will always be in God and always of God. God is not something separate from us. It is a part of us. And more importantly, we are a part of it. This means we have all the power of God at our fingertips to the extent that we can grasp it. We have to grasp it. So I'm going to get real here, folks. In order to live truly fearlessly feral, you have to release the idea that God is separate from you. You have never heard me speak of God in the third person and you never will. We can't grab hold of the power of God and be speaking of it if it's separate from us. Now, I get that most of us have been indoctrinated with the idea that God is separate from us. Why? Well, because when those early men who formulated Christianity and put together the Bible did their thing, they were fear-based and they did not want the populace to have a clue of their own power. So they twisted Jesus' words around and made it seem like the only way to get that power was through an intermediary, the church and the leaders of the church. 
but nothing can be further from the truth. Your power is inherent in you. You simply have to grasp hold of it. But you can't grasp hold of it unless you trust. Which leads me to a subsection in this section of the thing itself. The title of this subsection is called Learning to Trust Will Make Us Happy. Now, this is one of my most favorite quotes, and I'm going to get real again here. I don't like it when I lose my trust, guys. Losing my trust makes me very unhappy. Indeed, it's like losing my faith. I don't feel good. I'm subject to all kinds of stuff. When I lose my trust, I do whatever is necessary to restore that trust. And I'm speaking here, when I speak of losing my trust, I'm speaking of losing my trust in the basic goodness of the thing itself and thus of the world. So if we believe that God is everywhere present and we lose our trust in God, and and if we believe that God is all good all the time and we lose our trust in that, then we're also losing our trust in the world and in people. And I don't know about you guys, but that's, I don't want to live like that. I, but I look around the world and I, what is happening? And I think, how can there be any good in what's going on? And sometimes, yeah, I lose my trust. So I do my spiritual practices and sometimes I even seek extra help to gain that trust back because this, this is big stuff here. And you know what's cool when I get the trust back? It's more real. It's healthier. It's not a naive sort of trust that sets me up for victimhood. It's a more of a full-bodied trust. Now, trying to describe trust is like trying to describe the wind. We can describe the effects of it, but unless the experience is there, we can't really know what trust feels like. We know it when we have it, and we know it when we don't. Hopefully. Hopefully you've done enough introspection by now to know it when you have it and know it when you don't. So how do we get to trust when we don't have it? Well, first we have to have a willingness to trust. Like I said, when I don't trust, I'm not happy. And when I don't trust, I don't feel safe in the world. And when I don't feel safe in the world, I'm anxious. And then things just go to hell in a handbasket. It might be a different experience for you, but that's what it's like for me. The important is to know what you're feeling like when you're not trusting. So how do we learn to trust if we don't have any? First thing, other than the willingness, (laughs) we got to be willing to trust. Some people aren't willing to trust. They're like, nope, not going there. Not going to trust. That's it. I'm done. Not trusting, not trusting people, not trusting the world. I'm going to go live in my cave and become a hermit and order my groceries online and have them delivered so I never have to go out into the world. And you know what? There's people that actually live like that. And they're content there. I don't know if they're happy, but I see some contentment there. So we have to have the willingness to trust. Then we have to develop a relationship with that thing itself. A relationship with God. Here's the kicker. Since God is within us, and if you believe that, if you believe that God is within us and a part of us, it has all sorts of ramifications for us. Guess who we're really developing a relationship with if we're developing a relationship with God? Ourselves. We're developing a relationship with ourselves. 
Holmes says, It has been written that the truth shall make us free, provided we know the truth, and we note that the evolution of human's consciousness rings with it, the acquisition of new powers and higher possibilities. So he's speaking of knowing our truth here. It's the bottom line truth. That bottom line truth of knowing that we are one with God and it is one with us. All other truths stem from this one. Now this places a bit of a different emphasis on knowing our truth, doesn't it? Because if you're knowing and feeling separation, I don't think you're knowing oneness with God. And I'm guilty of this myself. I sometimes know and feel separation and I'm not feeling the oneness and I'm not feeling the trust. And then I got to go back and start all over again. Just how deeply can we know ourselves? That's the kicker here. That's the question, because the more we know ourselves, the more new powers and higher possibilities we have. But we have to trust. We have to know If you've listened to my podcast before, you may have heard me say that I don't do beseeching prayers. I don't pray to an outside God. That's because that isn't where God is for me. God is within me. So I go within and I know my truth. I find it if I don't know it. And I state my word in affirmative prayer with a punch that is packed with all the power of God. And then my word manifests. Unless I'm blocking it somehow, and then I'm not grabbing hold of that truth that Ernest Holmes talks about. And then I have more inner searching to do. Now also in this section, Holmes calls science of mind the science of spiritual psychology. And I love that. This is why I get off on this thing, because there's spiritual psychology here. Check out transpersonal psychology in Wikipedia. That's what this stuff really is. We explore beyond our sense of self and our egos and we dive into the world of the transcendent. We dive into the mystical aspects of our lives to get at the deeper meaning of our experiences. And what is that deeper meaning? Well, for me, it's learning and growth and transformation. What I like to call more. Processing life's events, forgiving, knowing my power, always keeping in mind that God is everywhere present and all good all the time. And if that is true, then what is not good about any aspect of my life? Some of my most favorite all-time quotes are in this first section of the introduction, and I really want to cover them as well. Oh, and by the way, you may have noticed I'm changing the pronouns to gender neutral. This isn't something that has been universally approved. It's just something that I'm doing. I'm comfortable with it. So here's a quote that I love. The very air is vibrant with power. Remember, if God is everywhere present, it's in the air as well. It's in us, it's in the air. So when we breathe, we can breathe in power. But Holmes then goes on to ask this. After saying the air is vibrant with power, he says, Why then are humans weak, poor, and afraid? He follows up with saying that the divine plan is one of freedom and that freedom is our birthright. And most importantly, we must listen to our inner voice, for it tells us of a life wonderful in its scope, a love beyond our fondest dreams, of a freedom which the soul craves. Now, speaking of freedom, you know, there's people that aren't free. 
There's people that aren't free to love who they want. There's people that aren't free to do what they want with their bodies. There's people that aren't free to go where they want to go by virtue of the color of their skin or their gender. There's not freedom in this world. But this stuff here, those are all outer freedoms. I'm talking about inner freedoms. I'm thinking of the prisoner in the Nazi camps, and I can't remember the name. But they went within during their imprisonment. And they didn't allow what was going on outside of them to affect them. They went within, and they found and they knew And they embodied their own inner personal freedom. That's the freedom I'm talking about here. That's the freedom that tells us of a life wonderful in its scope, of a love beyond our fondest dreams, of a freedom which the soul craves. Isn't that beautiful? Sometimes I read this stuff and I take a deep breath. And I remember, and it's like a great weight gets lifted off my shoulders. Here's another quote, the very first sentence in the first section of the entire book. We all look forward to the day when science and religion shall walk hand in hand through the visible to the invisible. Science and religion walking hand in hand. This is why I love this teaching. It incorporates a yes and type of thing that reminds me not to be so black and white all the time. In this merging of science and religion, we talk about mysticism and inner power and faith and trust, and then we use science to prove that what we are saying is true. I will never forget the joy I felt as I went through my first quantum physics class in ministerial school. Quantum physics proves that what we teach is true. I was ecstatic to learn that. Here we had scientific proof of what we teach being true. Now, if you're interested in this line of thought, check out work by a guy named Amit Goswami. He was our quantum physics professor in ministerial school. He has a ton of books out there. They're really interesting. Amit Goswami is his name. Here's another quote I love. The answer to the prayer is in the prayer. Now, this can be taken two ways. There's a yes and here. I love yes ands. Is the answer in the prayer itself? Or is the answer in the one doing the praying? And there's the yes and, because I think it's both. And I like to take it a step further, because one of the slogans of science of mine is change your thinking and change your life. So if we have a prayer to experience, for example, greater abundance, guess what? We get to go within and look at what our thoughts and our beliefs are about abundance. We get to look outside at the weeds and ask ourselves, do we see abundance? Or do we see something like, oh, those weeds are ugly? What do we see when we look at stuff? Personally, I look outside and I see an abundance of weeds and I see abundance. I also see that I got to do something to get rid of the weeds, but I see abundance. Do you see the difference here? So we have to sometimes change our perception about things. We have to change our thinking if we want to change our life, because remember, everything's created twice, first inside of us, and then it moves out or outward. 
Holmes describes prayer as a movement of thought within the mind of the one praying along a definite line of meditation for a specific purpose. So when we pray, aren't we really asking to change our minds, to change our perception, and to change our thinking? So the answer in that case is the prayer is in the prayer. (laughs) I love that. I absolutely love it. And this brings me to another favorite quote in this section. To learn how to think is to learn how to live. Gone are the days when we rely on something or someone else to tell us what to think. As religions and politicians are prone to do. Instead, with this teaching, we learn how to think. And then we are empowered to make our own decisions In Science of Mind, we do not teach people what to think. We teach them how to think. So sometimes people show up in my classes and my workshops and they've been taught how to think by something outside of there. And when I tell them, no, you get to to teach. I think I got a typo in there. I think you you get to learn how to think. Those other things have taught you what to think. And people get threatened when I tell them they can stand on their own two feet and think for themselves. And and they get defensive. But that's what this teaching teaches us. It teaches us how to think, not what to think. And so we get to do that. We get to learn how to think for ourselves and make our own decisions for ourselves. We get to decide what our own morals are. So, there you have it. A nice little review of the thing itself. Some tidbits and opinions that will hopefully encourage you to further explore what this teaching is all about. To maybe even get your hands on a Science of Mind textbook and start reading this introduction. There's also classes and workshops galore that take deeper dives into this teaching. And I encourage you to be open to taking some classes. They're offered at Centers for Spiritual Living all over the world, both in person and online. And if you have a request for a topic or a class, I am happy to teach one. Let me know. I encourage your feedback and your opinions and your wisdom. I'd love to have a conversation with you. In the meantime, I thank you for listening, and I thank you for your support. And I am knowing fearlessly feral living for me and for you. And your support is so much appreciated and fully tax deductible. And you can support us in a number of different ways. You can support the podcast. If you've listened to this podcast in Buzzsprout, there's a link there that'll take you right to a way to support. You can go to our Patreon page at patreon.com fearlessly feral living and support us there by becoming a member. Membership has lots of bennies, by the way. You can give us a one-time donation by going to our PayPal page. I've got the link in the show notes. And you can find all of this information at our website at fearlesslyferal.org. I thank you very much for listening. And I am knowing fearlessly feral living for you and for me.